You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, good morning. We are glad that you're here today. I want you to take out of your program your outline. You're going to need that. We're in a series called Circles, and if you think of uh, some concentric circles, I want you to think of the very middle of several concentric circles. That first circle is going to be identity, and that's where Jesus goes and gets baptized. As he's coming up out of the water, God says from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. God speaks Jesus' identity in that moment. I want you to know that when you and I receive Jesus Christ as Lord in your heart, that God bestows that identity on you, that you are a son or a daughter of the Most High God, whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. Well, the very next thing that Jesus does is he is carried by the Spirit. He goes out into the wilderness. He goes from the mountain areas out to the desert areas, and he's fasting for 40 days, and he's tried, and he's tested, and he's tempted by the evil one. And, and there is often in your, se- your life and my life seasons where you move from a season of identity to a season of formation. And formation is where you and I are tried, we're tested, we're tempted. Sometimes we fall flat on our face. Sometimes God reveals to us what our weaknesses exactly are because he wants to build spiritual muscle in those times. The enemy comes along and wants to accuse you. Look at your identity is really your mistakes. And we reject that. We take a stand against the evil one and say, no, my identity is that I'm a son or a daughter of the most high God whom he loves and with whom he's well pleased. And maybe today you need to be reminded of that, that in your season of formation, you need to be reminded that you are a son or a daughter of the most high God, whom he loves and with whom he is well pleased. And again, God often moves us from formative experiences into community experiences. And so Jesus leaves the desert. The first thing he does, he comes back into the region in which he's going to move and work and have his being. And he begins to choose his friends, his disciples. And we call that community. And it's so important for you and I to have a circle around us, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, friends who do life together with us where our name and our needs can be known. And so we circle up. We want to be a church of circles, not just a church of rose because we understand that God wants us to work and live within the realm of community. And so as we're growing spiritually, we move from identity to formation to community. But God doesn't just move us to community and invite us into community, but he calls us to invite other people into community. And what I want you to know today is that you and I can invite unlikely people into community if we want to celebrate what God's doing in our lives and what he's doing in your life. If you really want to celebrate, if you really want to see what God's doing and how he's moving in a region or among people, you and I invite unlikely people into our community. I heard a pastor say one time that one of the most interesting things about Jesus is that he rarely hung out with and spent time with religious people. Now, religion is something that is human doing. He rarely spent time with religious people. Though Jesus was an absolutely righteous person, he is the righteous son of God, the lamb of God to be slain. He is perfect. He is without sin. Though Jesus was a righteous person, he always tried to get in front of unrighteous people. When Jesus showed up in the first century, people who were nothing like him liked him. And he liked them. And they weren't intimidated by him. These ungodly people weren't intimidated. I mean, more than likely they're thinking, huh, like sure hope God doesn't know about last weekend. They're thinking, I sure hope God doesn't know what I did on spring break down at the Sea of Galilee. I sure hope God in the forefront of his mind doesn't really know what's going on in the deep places in my life. Nevertheless, 
the fact remained that ungodly people who were nothing like him flocked to see him and to hear him, and they liked him. Pastor Andy Stanley says this, quote, any organization or business or movement must answer the tension between reaching non-customers and merely keeping up with the status quo. The local church is supposed to be the eyes and hands and ears and feet of Jesus in our culture. But for some reason, we drift from having the same effect on people that Jesus did. And maybe you've seen a church that's been around for years and years and years, and they've kind of gotten off mission. They were all about people when they started. But as the years and years went by, they were all about just trying to preserve their community and their relationships that they have with each other. And they're basically loving each other to death. They've just lost effectiveness. They love each other, but they have stopped reaching out to anybody else. They've drifted. And maybe in your life, you think about the people that you used to hang around and you say, I I knew lots of people who were non-Christians or lots of people who were unsaved and my heart was for them. But over the years, maybe your heart has become more for people who are already saved and and the people that you feel safest with. And and maybe you've drifted and gotten a little bit off mission. and, And it's important for us to, some of us have drifted because in your workplace or in other circles, you go out there and you act just like a non-Christian person. Now, when you're with your Christian friends, you act just like them. But maybe God is calling you to stop drifting and to be the light, the hands and feet, the love of Christ in the circles in which you operate. The beautiful thing is if you've drifted, you don't have to stay drifting. That you can pull straight, that you can realign, that you can move forward. And I'm really appreciative as I look at this passage to some of the work of Andy Stanley as a pastor and some of the questions that he raises that I'll be using in as we unpack this passage together. If you have your Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke is a doctor. He's a Greek. And he, this doctor is investigating all the things that happened during the time of Jesus. And as he writes the gospel of Luke, he's very... Uh, it pays very close attention to detail. If you want just the action gospel, you'd look at Mark. It's kind of the highlights. And it's real fast moving. But if you want the detail of the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, you're going to go to the book of Luke. And as we look at Luke chapter 19, we're going to begin to unpack a situation where Jesus was interacting with people in that day. On your outline, we have a question. Well, the question is this. Why was Jesus so effective? and attractive to people who were nothing like him. And the answer to that question is going to do more to help you feel connected with your church, help you have more feel connected with your world than lost people out there, and more connected in relationship and purpose than almost anything else you could answer. Why was Jesus so attractive to people? You say, I'm not Jesus. I'm not like him. I'm not as, you know, I don't have that secret sauce. And the reality is, if you're in Christ, you are the aroma of Christ to a lost world. And that's a beautiful thing. You carry that with you everywhere you go, that you have the capacity to influence people for the sake of the good news of Jesus. And, the, and what is attractive then about you is the life of Christ in you. Question number one in your outline, are we focused on reaching people more than simply keeping people? Quickest way to get off mission is stop reaching people. Quickest way for a business to slide is just Stay with your existing customers, not looking for new streams or marketing to reach new customers. And as a church, we want to do the kind of things that no one's doing to reach the kind of thing that nobody's reaching. And we want to do that as a church, but as a church, that means us. So the question is, what are some things maybe you're doing that no one's doing to reach people no one's reaching? If you want to stop drifting, that's the best way to go. Are we focused on reaching people more than just keeping people? 
If you're here today and you're not a Christian or you used to be or you're trying to figure it out or you're trying to figure who Jesus is out, maybe you had a bad experience with church people, which by the way, if you had a bad experience with church people, that's not Jesus. Don't confuse the two. But as you're there and you're thinking about what is Jesus doing in your life, or maybe you're here today and you just don't know what you believe, and this is the safest place you can come to figure out what it is you believe about faith and about Jesus and about hope in our world. If you were to run into Jesus today, you would like him. And he would like you. Even though you might be nothing like him, you would look into Jesus' holy and pure and righteous eyes and you would know that you are drawn to him and loved by him even though he knows you fully. You would like him and he would like you. In the Jewish first century, there was a distinction between sinners, which would be ungodly people, and tax gatherers or tax collectors. Okay, there's a distinction between the two. Tax gatherers were traitors who basically turned their back on their own country to collect taxes on behalf of Rome. And they were traitors. So even if you were the most horrible sinner, at least you could always say, well, at least I'm not a tax collector. There was always some to fall. You might be a thief, you might be a murderer, but you're like, hey, listen, at least I'm not one of them. You're the worst of the worst if you're a tax gatherer. In fact, these people made a lot of money. They would actually bid for the chance to collect taxes from their own people. And Rome would say, uh, if they chose them and they would bid on it, Rome would say, all right, we're going to have you collect at least this much tax. Now, you can collect more, but you at least need to bring us this much revenue. And in fact, to help you do it, we're going to give you a couple Roman soldiers to break kneecaps just to help you out in case you get any pushback. Do you think these people were loved by their countrymen? Because they would ask more from them and they would just pad their own pockets. Above the tax collector would be a chief tax collector that all the tax collectors would report to. And this regional chief tax collector would take a cut of what everybody was taking, pad his pockets, and then they would send the rest up to Rome. And the worst of the worst people that you could imagine in that society would be a tax collector. So Jesus traveled from Jerusalem, which is like pine trees and gardens and, and Northern California type country. And he traveled out into the desert. He traveled out of the mountains, out into this desert valley. It would be like going from here and maybe up in our mountains and then going out to Palm Desert. Now in the, the, the town of Jericho, it's like Palm Desert. In that desert and in that city of Jericho lived a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. So he was a tax gathering supervisor, a man who has rejected his own culture, rejected his own people, and he's going to collect taxes and do it on behalf of Rome, probably the most hated man in the region. He was a little man who would have driven a full-size, massively lifted luxury pickup truck. But since there weren't trucks to be modified yet, he was just a little man who thought his wealth made him a big man. And that's where our illustration of Jesus, this real life occurrence takes place in Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief what? Tax collector, right? This guy is the chief, the supervising tax collector. And he was, the scriptures don't say, but I'll say stinking wealthy. Okay? He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, 
He couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Here's a picture. I don't know about you, but here's this little guy, and he runs ahead, and he climbs a sycamore fig tree. Again, he, he doesn't care about being in the tree. He doesn't care what people think of him, obviously, because no one thinks anything good about him anyway. So he climbs up this tree so he can see better, and there's something about being in a tree. Being in a tree, you're kind of, you have a better view. You can kind of be aloof from what's happening on the ground, and you can kind of isolate yourself, and it's a good picture of what Zacchaeus had done in his life. So here he is, separated from society, separated from the crowd. He's in a tree. He's looking down, and you're safe there until you get spotted. And once you get spotted and you get called out, every eye is now suddenly on you. You're not safe anymore. You're vulnerable. You're up in the tree. You've been spotted. Everybody can look. Everybody can see you. And Jesus, as he's walking along, spots Zacchaeus, the most unlikely person that he would fellowship with, the most unlikely person that he would hang out with, the most unlikely person whose house he might even stay overnight at as he's traveling. He says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I must stay at your house today. Ironically, being deflated is the first step to getting filled up. See, sometimes you and I, we puff ourselves up. We prop ourselves up. We inflate ourselves. And we feel good about ourselves until we're spotted. And when you're inflated and you're spotted, it becomes obvious to everyone around you that you're self-promoting, that you're puffing yourself up. And when you get spotted as that and identified as that, it deflates you. And if you're easily puffed up or you're really puffed up, it's easy to get very, very deflated. But let me tell you, that's a good thing. It's good to get deflated because it's not until you and I are deflated that we begin to get filled up. And Jesus intends to take a man who was self-inflated and begin to fill him up. Isn't that true in our culture? There was a young pitcher, and this young pitcher made it into the minor leagues because of his talent. He just rode on his talent, and he had a lot of different pitches, and, and he rode on that. But the one pitch he didn't really have in his arsenal that he couldn't really throw well was the curveball. But he had made it this far without it, and he decided to don't need it. And the pitching coach said, now that you're in the minors, I want to develop the curveball. And the young pitcher's like, I don't, I'm not interested, honestly. Like, I think I'm fine. Let me just work on my good stuff, not work on what I'm bad at. And the pitching coach just said, okay. Watched him for a couple games get absolutely shell-shocked, absolutely hammered out of the park. And then that young pitcher came back to the pitching coach and said, okay. All right, I'm ready. Let's work on my curveball. And they begin to work and perfect that curveball. And interestingly enough for that pitcher, it was his curveball and the strength of the curveball that was his ticket to the major leagues. But isn't that true of you and me that sometimes it's getting deflated when we're puffed up that lets us be filled up? And I don't know where you are today, but maybe you've walked in here and you're puffed up. You're self-important. You're isolated from people. There's no accountability in your life. There's no people speaking into your life. You keep yourself separated from people like Zacchaeus. Perhaps you walked in here today and you're deflated. The events of this week have, have deflated you. The events of your personal life have deflated you. You've walked in here today and you feel hopeless. You don't feel hope toward the future. You know the holidays are coming and that deflates you and lots of things deflate you and you're just feeling without hope. 
But I want you to know that that's a good place to be because it's there that God can begin to fill you up and not leave you in a place where you're constantly deflated, where you begin to serve the kingdom of God and put your hope in God and not the circumstances of our world, which shift and change. And we will engage the circumstances of our world with compassion. And let me just tell you, uh, it was amazing just to be able to instantly mobilize and give gift cards to some people who had lost everything in the fires near paradise. Some of them were in first service. They were here with relatives, but they've lost everything. They're starting over, and they're, they're too old to start over. But because of your generosity, our church was able to instantly mobilize to do some things for people we know specifically, not organizations necessarily that we hope will get the resources to the right place. These people are in a place where life deflated them, but sometimes God uses a formative experience like that to begin to fill us up. And we can reach toward people with the love of Jesus in those moments. So here's Jesus. He's walking through town. There's a man who's isolated from people because of his own self-importance. He's up in the tree, and Jesus calls him out. How do you and I do that? You and I need to begin to look for people outside the church to intentionally include in the body of Christ. Not just looking at other churches or people that might go there, but you're looking at people who are outside the church, the furthest out person. Every person deserves to at least hear the good news of Jesus. And it's the person who rejects culture. It's the person who pushes back against community. It's the person who argues with you at times about your belief in Christ and your practice as a believer that sometimes is exactly the person that God might be calling us to reach out. And let me tell you, when you begin to reach to people that no one's reaching by doing things that no one's doing, religious people will begin to argue against you. They'll have a problem with it. They'll begin to mutter among themselves. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to say the word mutter three times. Say mutter, mutter, mutter. Go ahead, turn to, the, turn to your neighbor. You hear that sound? That's an onomatopoeia. Mutter is the description of a sound when people get to talking with one another. And Jesus invites Zacchaeus out of the tree. And then we find out in verse 7, here's what happens. All the people saw this and they began to mutter. Well, they didn't just mutter, mutter, mutter. What did they do? They, they said, quote, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. All right, turn to your neighbor, point your finger and say, sinner. All right. So that's what they did. Like they all muttered. They're all muttering like, he should have stayed with us, don't they? Maybe Jesus is ignorant. Maybe he doesn't know who that guy is, even though Jesus has never met him and called them by name. Maybe Jesus is, uh, and they're, they're frustrated. How could of all people, this is horrible for our town. This is not what we want going up on social media today. Jesus has gone to stay as the guest of a sinner. This is a man who intentionally rejected community and Jesus was going to go stay with him. Listen, at this moment, if you were one of Christ's 12 disciples, you might say, uh, Jesus, um, we're going to go stay at the Hampton Inn. I'm not sure we want to stay with that guy. Don't you know who that guy is? Like you're siding with the crowd and with the people. But nope, Jesus is being very intentional to invite unlikely people into community. And he understood this principle that if you want to celebrate, if you want to get on mission with what God is doing, if you want to experience the joy of community, then don't just try to gather only with church people, but invite unlikely people into community and be the church. So who around you 
do you know that intentionally rejects community? It might be a person like Zacchaeus, a self-sufficient, wealthy person who thinks, I have enough, I've got enough, I'm I'm good, I don't need the church. I think religion is a crutch for people who are weak-minded and they, they just think that they're wealthy and they don't have great needs. Well, that was Zacchaeus. He didn't care what people think. And Jesus invited him. Maybe for you, it's the invisible person, that person that could be a fly on a wall. They sneak in and sneak out of coffee shops and of grocery stores and churches and workplaces, and people hardly see them unless you're looking for them. And maybe God's calling you to look for the invisible person. Maybe look for the person who hides from community. Maybe it's a person who, they didn't intentionally reject community so much, but they've embraced and fallen so much in love with work and success that by default they reject community. I'm sorry, I'm too busy. I can't be involved in a circle group. I, I'm, I'm a workaholic. I, I can't be involved in family and God's heart for the family. I'm a, I'm a workaholic. I can't be in all these ways. And, and maybe it's that person who, in a sense, unintentionally has rejected community. And maybe that person is the one God's calling you to reach toward. Maybe it's the person that you think, in fact, you probably know, would never want to be invited to church. You're convinced of it. In fact, you probably invited them before and they said no. And yet, It might be exactly the person that God's saying, invite them to your circle group. Invite them to a conversation. It might be the person who's had a bad church experience. And again, don't, don't, if you've had a bad experience with church people, don't understand that to be a bad experience with Jesus. It's not the same thing. That again, it might be a person who's been wounded by the church, hurt by the church, and on the outside they got their walls up and they're like, I don't go to church. But maybe on the inside they're doing this. You know what this is? Come here, but go away. But come here, please go away. Maybe that's the person that you need to invite. Maybe it's the person who crosses your path and you keep bumping into them more than once. I don't know about you, but I think sometimes God allows you and me to keep bumping into the same people time and again. Well, you see them there and you see them there and you see them there. And maybe God's just tapping our shoulder and saying, I'm calling you to invite this unlikely person that you don't even know all that well into community. Maybe there's a reason that you keep bumping into that same person over and over. Listen, it might be the checker at Trader Joe's. It might be the gas station cashier, the receptionist at your doctor's office. It might be the person with the crazy tattoos all over everywhere, the barista, the aspiring model, the photographer, the school administrator. It might be the other parents of the kids on your kids' sports teams. But God's got people that he bumps you into that he's saying, invite unlikely people. And sometimes we get afraid for rejection, so we just stop inviting. But the truth is, we're just saying, God, I'm content with my community. I'm not sure I want to invite messy people into my comfortable community. And God says, when you and I have that heart, we begin to drift from the heart of God. Listen, when you go to India and you mix it up with little children who live in the dirt I don't know how, but their clothes always look clean, but they live in the dirt and then they, they are being trafficked and you say, God, how can I invite a person like that who's halfway across the world and I can invite them into a community where they can get schooled and fed and they can get cared for and they can get ministered to and, and you say, I can do that. I can invite somebody into a community that I may never meet and somebody who could never necessarily thank me. I could do that, God. you want to celebrate what God's doing in the world, in the midst of all the darkness of our world, invite unlikely people. 
A common thread among people who become saved is the existence of a friend who nagged them to go to church or youth group or a circle group. It's a common thread, right? So a number of years ago, a gal in our church named Melissa had a friend, uh, and Melissa had a friend named Karina, and Melissa would invite Karina to go to church, and Karina said no every time. And so she said, well, how about this Sunday we go to breakfast? And Karina said yes, and instead they came to church. <laughs> and Karina felt really mad. Like, wait, wait, you totally like tricked me. And, and so, um, and what about breakfast, right? And so, so she came to church and, and what she knew was she was frustrated about her friend, but she began to become intrigued about Jesus. And it wasn't too long till Karina accepted Christ. And I'd like to introduce Karina to you right now. Will you come on out? Karina, give a warm welcome to Karina. No, no, there it hey, is. Hey, come on. We'll come all, all the way up also, this Also, I just want you guys to know that applause is not for me. It's for Jesus because that was not, that wasn't me. That, obviously, that wasn't you, yes. Karina. I mean, <laughs> because that was, that was the Lord. But I got I to gotta say, like, when you first got invited by Melissa, had she invited you ever to church before? Every weekend. <laughs> and you said... No. And so she said, fine, since we're such good friends, I'll invite you, but I really, we're just going to drive to church. And what was your thought when you first, like, got to the church with her? Well, it was quite a surprise because I was the person that made fun of people that loved Jesus. And so for her to bring me to a church, I was like, no one's going to talk to me. And I want you guys to know, I want to encourage everyone who's here that is new. The reason that I kept coming back was because of community and the people around me. Just immediately, I never felt like I belonged. And immediately I stepped in the doors and people welcomed me. So, That's awesome. It was awesome. Yeah, and so that's good. But did you, I just want to know, did you get breakfast? No. No. I got, I got a donut, but that doesn't fill my stomach. <laughs> right, right, right. It was, so it was donut Sunday. It was. It yeah. was donut it Sunday. It was actually, I think, the first donut Sunday. So there it was. We provided breakfast when you had none. So exactly. give it up for Karina. Yes. I want you to know, Karina now is on our staff and works with our junior hires. And I got to tell you, listen, as a church, we believe our junior high students are the future world changers, and we think God's going to help them reach the people in their junior high and in their future high school and in the world. And I want to tell you, people like Karina are right now giving their time and their effort. We give it up for our children's and our youth teams. I just think so much of the world of what they're doing. So if you want to celebrate what God's doing, invite unlikely people. Luke 19, verse 8, we see the response to this invitation and this action by Jesus from Zacchaeus. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Right away, he says this word, if, if I've cheated anybody and everyone sitting around and everybody listening outside, the religious people who are frustrated, who are like having ears in on the courtyard of what's going on with Jesus, they're thinking, if, of course, he's cheated me. But when we translate the Hebrew in this say, or the Aramaic in this sense to English, we lose some of the nuance that if really means sense. So what He's confessing in that moment is, God, since I've cheated people out of anything, I'm going to give back. And he says something very significant. He says, I'm going to give back four times as much. These are Jewish people. And this guy's a mathematician. And he knows what the Old Testament law said. If you've defrauded somebody, the Old Testament law said, give back what you cheated and add 20%. So listen to the significance of what he publicly says he'll do. Has there been a change of heart in this man? 
This man who's rejected community, his very first step is to step back into repairing relationships. Let me ask, what would you think if Zacchaeus had defrauded you? Maybe you've had somebody defraud you, and you know what that feels like to get ripped off and to get shortchanged, and they bailed, and maybe later they find Jesus, they find religion, and they come back to you and they're like, hey man, I'm so sorry that that all went down, but I didn't really know Jesus back then, I didn't have religion back then, so let's just call that water under the bridge. Are you feeling good about yourself right now? Are you feeling good about them right now? No. What does he do? He understands the very first step is a repair of relationship. And that's one of the signs of authentic salvation in Christ is that when you realize I was one of the unlikely people and Jesus invited me and I came into community to belong to him, that I've got to repair some relationships with other people. And one of the things that happens, he took in that moment full responsibility for the wrongs he had committed. He did a fearless moral inventory in that moment and he repaired what he could. He couldn't you know, handle how people respond. Some people want to punch him for it. Some people say, thank you very much for the money, whatever, right? But what he did is he did what was up to him to be able to do. When someone is intentionally included and is transformed by Jesus, they instinctively give to restore where they have broken community with others. What is he doing? His first step of repair, it had a practical side, the money side, but it was relational. It was relational all along. He is repairing community. He is repairing relationship. And that's what he does in that moment. So he makes this proclamation. I'm going to give back four times the amount since I've cheated some people. And right then, Jesus' response tells us a lot. Jesus said to him, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a, and there's almost like a drum roll right here. He's saying, salvation's come to this house. Whose house is it? Zacchaeus' house. Salvation has come to this person, his belonging. Because this man too is, and it's almost like there's a drum roll. Here comes a new title. Here comes a new identity. He says, this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. The son of man reference is Jesus talking about what he's come to do to invite the unlikely people. But what he's talking about with, with Zacchaeus he says, this man too is a, and what were the old titles? A sinner, even worse than a sinner, a tax collector. And Jesus gives him a new identity. This man too is a son of Abraham. He is a friend of God, a son, or in your case, maybe a daughter of the most high God. And that's what Jesus does. When we see with our eyes who Jesus really is and we interact with him and we're invited into community, we find out that God wants relationship with us. He doesn't just want religious practice. And Jesus says to this man, listen, I am reinstating him to community. This man is as Jewish as a Jewish person can be. This man has rejected Judaism. This man has rejected his own Jewish people. This man who's serving the Greek culture and he's ripping off our own people. Jesus says, this man is a son of Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation. Jesus reinstates his position and so does God. When you come to him and you begin to walk in relationship with God, he gives you a new identity I think Jesus, if he were to walk into here today, would say to all the Christian people, listen, don't take this wrong. 
But with my mission, why I came to earth, you're not my primary focus. Now listen, what I believe we do here as a church is incredibly important and incredibly serves the work that God would have us to do. And I believe it's honoring to God. But if you're here today and you are far away from God, then I believe that today you are far more valuable to him than I am. You are his focus. And God would say to you, you're invited. Welcome home. You're invited into community. Welcome home. Now listen, at one point, that's who all of us were. We were the outside and God would invite us in. And those of us who've tasted being invited into relationship with Christ and community, we know how good that is. Because the funny thing is, you and I were those people, right? We were once lost, but we are now found. I think the church that Jesus would go to is the church that becomes so attractive to an unchurched person and an unrighteous and a broken relationship person that if Jesus walked through those doors today, he would look around and say, wow, they're all here. My sons and my daughters, my people, and those who will soon be my people. They're all here. Of every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue, every race, every color, they're all here. My people. If you want to celebrate, invite unlikely people. Wow. Well, I want you to know that the holidays are coming up, and with every holiday or sporting opportunity, I believe you and I make that a better place because as we walk in, we carry the Holy Spirit of God with us into that environment. And if God opens the door in the course of a sporting or holiday event to have a conversation with somebody about Jesus, not necessarily about church, but about Jesus. It's a great opportunity for you to invite an unlikely person into community. You might invite somebody to steps to financial peace because maybe they're in debt and you're like, hey, well, let's go together. And in the course of that, that course, they're going to find out that Dave Ramsey is going to talk about how the Bible teaches us to handle our finances. And in the course of that, they're going to find out that, wow, biblical principles and the Jesus of the Bible is something that could be actually good for my life when I've tried to make it and haven't been doing very well with my finances. You might bring them to celebrate recovery and help people as they begin to reveal hurts and habits and hangups and say, we all have hurts, habits, and hangups. But if you come to celebrate recovery, you're going to find out that in celebrate recovery, we deal with hurts and habits and hangups. And we want to invite you into a community of people who you feel like you can relate to as you make your name and your needs known that it's isolating in secrecy. But when you come and you begin to talk with them, it's a good thing. You might ask self-inflated people to your circle group. You might go to a doctor appointment with a friend who's got a doctor appointment and you're just using the time to have a conversation. You're inviting them into community. You might throw a party for someone who needs a party. Somebody you're like, you know what? No one's ever gonna throw that person a party. I just know it. And you're like, we'll do it. We'll throw a party for them. They don't have a lot of friends. We're gonna throw the party. You might reach to immigrants or undocumented neighbors one of the things I want to do in this next year is I want to intentionally use um, affinity groups. And, and for me and a couple of my buddies around here, we want to use photo meetups. And what we want to do is we want to interact with people at photo meetups because we like photography. But at those photo meetups, we want to build relationships with photographers and creatives and, and the people who are at these events and build relationship. And in the context of that, I won't tell them what I do. 
Of course not. But in the context of that, we'll build relationship. And over time, then, you have the relational capacity. I will have the opportunity to mix it up with people I would never gather with under any other circumstance. But because of our affection for photography, we might leverage that for the sake of the gospel and inviting people into community. And maybe you drive Jeeps and you want to meet with other people who drive Jeeps. And, and maybe in our church, you're saying, hey, I know all the people who buy fabric at Hobby Lobby. And... And we all know each other. Well, why don't you gather up and start a circle group? Or why don't you do something where you're getting together and being creative and then using that as a leverage to be able to invite people into community that you wouldn't necessarily reach otherwise. And I got to tell you, in this next year, we're going to see time and again when we as the church are mobilized to reach people no one's reaching because we're doing things that nobody else is doing. Could you imagine if we did like 10 photo meetups and it was just awesome, we're out taking pictures, building a relationship, then all of a sudden we have a concert at Sun Grove Church and we make them register online and we bring a bunch of photographers in to do concert photography. Then they figure out, wow, this place is pretty cool and you, you guys go here and do you see what I'm talking about? To reach people no one's reaching, we gotta do some things that no one's doing. Imagine what things would be like if a year from now you could look around and say, wow, Look what God's done. Number three on your outline. I played some part in someone crossing the line of faith. Some part in someone crossing the line of faith. Maybe it wasn't the main part, and it's not like you're trying to get extra credit or anything, but you said, listen, I, wow, I was part of someone coming to new life in Jesus, someone who was lost becoming found. And maybe you're here today because someone coerced you into being here. Perhaps your neighbor invited you, or you had a persistent friend who won't give up on you. Maybe they told you they were buying you breakfast. <laughs> but maybe you're here today and and you're like a, a lot of people who, when they walk through those doors, they struggle and they say, wow, what, what am I doing in a church? Because you just know the condition of your life. And maybe when you walked in here today, you found out that Jesus is saying, you're invited. Welcome home. You belong. And I'm inviting you into community. And some of you are like, what am I doing in a church? And some of you are like, you know, I don't necessarily buy all this. But I like these people and I'll be back. Listen, there's a very real God who is nothing like your impression of religious people with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just thinking about your own life. Maybe today you're realizing you've never received Jesus's invitation to relationship. And his invitation to relationship says, through my death on the cross, you can have new life and the forgiveness of all your sin." because I paid for it on the cross. And maybe today, right where you're at, you're realizing, God, I've been, I've been putting my hand out and saying, go away, but my other hand has been saying, come for me, invite me, reach to me. I need you. And maybe today it's just you taking that step toward him. The way that you do that is you just pray a prayer like this, right where you're seated, just in your heart you pray it, or you pray it silently, just a little out loud, and God hears you, he knows you fully. But you pray something like this to say, Jesus, today, I give you me. I ask you to make me a new creation on the inside. Forgive me of all my sin. Wash me as white as snow. I believe your death on the cross satisfied God's anger against my sin. And I believe you're God. So today, Jesus, I give you Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, 
Visit our website at sungrove.org.